RetroSeasons.com for more sports history. Ernie, we've talked about the influence that Paul Richards had on you and the other managers of the teams that you've worked for. Let's go back and talk for just a second, and maybe you can give us a little insight to some of these guys that you had a, an especially close relationship with. How about Bert Schotten? Bert Schotten was a fellow from Bartow, Florida. He was a fisherman. He loved to fish. He played ball in the National League, played by the Cardinals and some other clubs, and he was very close to Branch Rickey. When Leo DeRocha was suspended by the commissioner, Ricky called his old pal down there in Bartow to come on up and manage the Dodgers. And he came up in 47 and stayed through 48. Leo came back and eventually went over to the Giants. But Bert Schotten was a very laid-back guy, one of the few managers that did not wear uniform. He'd wear a pair of slacks, and he'd wear a Dodger jacket. And he lived at the same hotel I did, the Bossett Hotel, when I broke in with the Dodgers in 1948. And I used to ride out to the ballpark with him after I got started with the Dodgers, usually with Bert and with the relief pitcher Hugh Casey. And he was a very wonderful gentleman. He didn't get excited one way or the other. You'd get on the train after the game. It might be a very tough loss or it might be a brilliant victory. And you really couldn't tell the difference by the manner or demeanor of Bert Schotten. Now, you also had the opportunity in Detroit of working with two managers who had made their name possibly with other teams. A guy who still owns the major league record for being fired the most times by the same owner, the brat, Billy Martin. <laughs> yeah, Billy Martin was quite a guy. Billy came into the Tigers. He'd bounced around a little bit. He'd been a great player, and he'd managed at Minnesota. When he came to the Tigers, he was very popular at first, but as my mom used to say, he wore out his welcome. Billy had a proclivity for, after he got started and establishing himself in a job, he began to carp at the other people in the organization, especially his bosses, and it never seemed to work because you don't criticize your bosses too heavily. Sparky Anderson, who had managed the Big Red Machine in Cincinnati to world championships. Sparky was a big guy, no question about that. He had managed Cincinnati to the World's Championship. He was a choice of Jim Campbell. When Les Moss was fired, Sparky came in. Actually, Les had a record around 500, but it was a chance to get Sparky, who'd been out of work, and Jim felt like if he didn't strike then that somebody else would come in and get Sparky. And Sparky had sort of a five-year plan, and actually it worked because after five years, the Tigers had a championship team. Sparky and I walked a lot. When we got to be good friends, we'd get up every morning and we'd walk for about an hour. We talked a lot about baseball, a lot about life, and I think I learned a lot from Sparky. He was pretty smart. He was an old used car salesman who knew how to close a deal, you know, and he could read the minds of his players and get the most out of them. Charles Dillon Stingle. KC, named after the town he came from. He was a failed dentist. He wanted to be a dentist, and he couldn't make it. And he came to the National League. He played for Brooklyn, and he played for the Giants. And he was a pretty good ball player, but he was always a clown. At Brooklyn, he doffed his cap one time, and a bird flew out. He hit a home run in the polo grounds, playing for the uh, Giants against the Yankees, and lost a shoe running home his inside-the-park home run. Then he became a manager, first at Boston with the Braves, and he was a terrible manager because they had a terrible team. Somebody said the best thing that ever happened to the Braves was when Casey got hit by a cab and broke his leg and couldn't manage anymore. But then he went to the Yankees and he became a genius. 
And later on, there was a great manager with the Met, but he was the kind of a guy, you know, you'd ask him uh, what time it was, and he'd uh, tell you how to build a watch. Mr. Sangle, I'm not sure that uh, I made my question clear. Yes. Well, that's all right. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to answer yours perfectly, either. I was asking you, sir, uh, <clears throat> why it is that baseball wants this bill passed. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they'd want it passed is to keep baseball going as the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. I'm not in here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the hundred years at the present time. Leo DeRocher. He was very volatile. He would be up one time and down the other, and he'd had feuds with the writers, and he and his wife had feuds, and he had feuds with everybody. Leo had come off the streets of Connecticut in the boyhood where he hung around the pool halls, and he became a pretty good ball player, sort of a no-hit, great fielding shortstop, and then later made himself a manager. But I think the great thing about Leo is he instilled a certain amount of confidence in his players that no other manager that I've ever been with could do. Somehow they would really go to battle for Leo because they figured that he'd figure out a way as much as he could to win the game for them. Some of the players didn't like Leo. Some of them liked him a lot. But whether they liked him or didn't like him, they did play hard for him.